Well, hello. Welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and happy to be with you, and happy you're with me again. Today's focus will be on a very short period during the life and career of two great New Orleans musicians, Clarence Williams and King Oliver. Uh, Clarence Williams was a uh, piano player uh, to some degree and a songwriter to some degree, but what he really was was a promoter and he was a publisher. He was a, a... a rarity among musicians in that he was a very, very good businessman. He was born in New Orleans or nearby in about 1893 or 1898, depending on the source. Uh, Early on, he uh, showed some uh, talent for entertaining. He uh, was a singer, he was a comic, he was an MC. He learned uh, a little bit of piano and he improved as the years went on. He toured with some bands, including W.C. Handy's band, for a brief tour um, in about 1917 or so. And uh, he was set to go on the road with uh, a group of New Orleans musicians uh, that uh, were supposed to tour the vaudeville circuit, but uh, which did not uh, due to some strange business uh, problem that they had. There's a great photo of that band which features Clarence Williams and his business partner, Armin Perone, on violin, along with Jimmy Noon and Papa Celestan and, and different people like that. So Williams played and uh, published mainly in New Orleans. He uh, published a lot of music by his contemporaries in the 1910s. Uh, He finally decided that uh, it was time for him to move away from New Orleans, and the closing of Storyville probably figured into that. Uh, He played in Storyville a bit as a piano player, but uh, I think he could see the handwriting on the wall in terms of what the business was going to be doing in New Orleans. He uh, moved to Chicago in 1918 and took the publishing house with him of uh, Clarence Williams and Armand Perone. Perone stayed in New uh, New Orleans, but they were still publishing tunes and uh, bringing out quite a few tunes and arrangements and things like that from about 1918 to 1922 in Chicago. At that point, he moved to New York City and uh, began a a career that lasted about 20 years, from 1923 till uh, he sold his whole catalog and his publishing concern in 1943 to Decca Records. Uh, He uh, began by continuing his publishing business and also taking songs from other people and putting his name on them, which was common practice in those days. He said uh, at one point in an interview with Al Rose uh, that he never really wrote too many songs at all, in fact, maybe none. He uh, really just put his name on songs and may have adapted a few here and there, but uh, if you look at his works list, there are dozens if not hundreds of tunes, many of which are considered jazz standards today. Beginning in about 1922, he was also hired by OK Records uh, as part of their race division. OK Records was largely a race label, putting out music by African Americans, but other other groups and other nationalities and ethnicities as well. Um, He was a talent scout, and he would put recording sessions together to feature different singers, uh, different musicians, and of course the songs that his company was publishing. And in the early 1920s, we have groups like the Clarence Williams Blue Five and the Red Onion Jazz Babies, bands like that that featured Louis Armstrong and Thomas Morris and Sidney Bechet and uh, all sorts of different players who were active in the African-American jazz scene in New York at the time. And he continued this series right up into the mid-30s with occasional uh, forays a little bit later on into the swing era. his recordings ran quite a quite a gamut of different musical jazz musical styles, from a, a very country-sounding washboard group to piano solos by him, or sometimes by James B. Johnson, to big bands. And we're going to be hearing some of the more big band sides from the late 20s today. So featured on all of these recordings, at least as far as we can tell, was the great New Orleans cornet player King Joe Oliver.
He was born in 1881 or thereabouts, uh, in or just outside of New Orleans. He ended up in the city as a teenager, started playing trombone, and then switched to cornet. Uh, he was a, a bit of a late starter as a musician, but uh, he, he caught up pretty quickly. By the middle 1910s, he was featured in brass bands. He was leading, co-leading a band with trombonist Kid Ori, and really by the years just before World War One, he was considered the top cornet player in New Orleans, hence the name King. He had replaced King Freddie Keppard, who had gone on the road with um, uh, the Creole jazz band doing a vaudeville tour, and of course King Buddy Bolden, if we follow the lineage there. So in about 1918, again, with the closing of Storyville and also the, the, the loss of a lot of um, uh, business opportunities in New Orleans, he moved to Chicago and uh, took over a band that was led by a New Orleans clarinet player named Lawrence Dewey. And uh, they played in a number of places. They were a, a, a pretty uh, popular band at the time. He took a little bit of time off in 1921 to go to San Francisco. He took a band that came to be known as his Creole Jazz Band that featured Johnny Dodds on clarinet, Honoré Dutry on trombone, Lil Hardin um, was on piano eventually. I think Bertha Gonsolin was the pianist for that tour and um, Baby Dodds was on drums, Bill Johnson was on bass, and uh, different people like that. So that was the beginnings of the classic Creole uh, jazz band of King Oliver. When they started recording in 1923, they had added a second cornet named Louis Armstrong, and Louis Armstrong was, uh, for the rest of his life, uh, very quick to credit King Oliver with uh, his, as being his formative influence musically and professionally and personally as well. And so Oliver brought Armstrong up in about 1922 out of New Orleans, uh, when he was about 21 years old, to play in his band. And this was a little unusual. There weren't many New Orleans bands that we know of that featured two cornets at the time, but this was a bit of an innovation, possibly done because uh, the ballrooms that they were playing in Chicago were bigger. They needed a little more sound, a little more solo variety perhaps, and things like that. So Armstrong played with Oliver's band through all of its recordings in 1923. He stayed with the band until early 1924 when he went out on his own, did some other gigs in uh, Chicago before leaving for New York in the fall, or actually of August of 1924. Oliver's band after that kind of broke up, but he reformed uh, using sometimes some of the same personnel, but he formed it more as a big band using written arrangements, although maintaining a lot of the New Orleans uh, aesthetic and uh, influence. His Dixie Syncopators started recording about 1926 and made a series of very fine uh, big band recordings from that period in Chicago featuring people like Kid Ory and Albert Nicholas and Darnell Howard, Paul Barber and people like that. Louis Russell was on piano. In fact, he took over parts of the band and uh, turned it into the Louis Russell Orchestra a few years later in New York City. Oliver was not a great businessman, in contrast to, uh, to uh, Clarence Williams. He brought his band to New York in about late 1927 and 1928, and the band did not do very well. They were considered kind of old-fashioned by New York standards, and also Oliver uh, was not prone to making fine business decisions. He asked for too much money in a couple of places. He was um, canceled out of a gig at the Savoy Ballroom in, in New York, which was a big venue at the time in the late 20s, and he was a finalist to take the job at the Cotton Club when the Cotton Club opened in 1928, and uh, he asked for too much money again, and they went with a younger, cheaper band led by Duke Ellington, and Ellington's band was launched from that point. Oliver uh, had to break up his band probably in about late 19... 27, early 1928, just because there were not enough bookings. Later on in his life, he would put bands together periodically. But being in New York at the time, 
uh, Clarence Williams was happy to hire him to come in and play with his various groups. Now Oliver uh, is generally thought of as a non-reading musician, but he read somewhat. He must have read music. He was playing in big bands. Um, he was playing in these bands, which were mostly using arrangements. We don't know who the arrangements for these Clarence Williams sessions uh, were done by, uh, possibly by Williams himself, although some of them are really quite intricate. Some of them may be based on stock arrangements, although my suspicion is some of these tunes came out before the stock arrangement was uh, made, so it's anybody's guess who may have put these together. We're going to start with one of the first tunes that King Oliver recorded with uh, Clarence Williams. This is the second version of a tune called the Red River Blues. And uh, the first version was made in May, 19, May 23rd of 1928 with an unusual little band with two cornets, Ed Allen and King Oliver, a clarinet, it says Arvel Harris, sounds an awful lot like Buster Bailey, Clarence Williams on piano, and Floyd Casey on washboard. It was called the Clarence Williams Washboard Five. But... Six days later, on May 29th, they went into the Columbia Studios and recorded the same tune with a different arrangement, this time featuring the two cornets, probably Ed Cuffey on trombone, at least uh, one reed, either Arvel Harris or Benny Waters on clarinet and alto sax, Clarence Williams again on piano, and a notable addition of Cyrus St. Clair, who was a very fine tuba player from that period. He starts out the uh, recording with a solo. We're going to start with that Red River Blues in just a second. From that point, we're going to go up about a month to the Clarence Williams Orchestra back at OK, and we're going to hear a recording of uh, another Clarence Williams tune called Lazy Mama with a similar group, except there are at least three reeds in there. Albert Sakaris uh, is one, Benny Waters is another. We don't know who the other one would be, but um, those two anyway. Leroy Harris is on banjo, Cyrus St. Clair again on bass, and Floyd Casey on drums, along with Clarence Williams. And then after that, we're going to hear two tunes from an August 1928 session for Columbia. Similar band, um, probably no banjo, but might be in there. It's a little muddy in the sound quality. We're going to hear two tunes. We're going to hear the Keyboard Express, which is an interesting piece. I guess it's Clarence Williams playing piano on there. Um, and then Walk That Broad, which was a pop tune of the day by uh, Tom Delaney. So we're going to hear all of these tunes uh, right now. We're going to hear Red River Blues, followed by Lazy Mama, The Keyboard Express, and Walk That Broad.
shorty Say she got herself a dress or two I know when she wore boot and a no-soled shoe Around here meeting her friend trying to put on airs Meet everybody that she know and give them the snare If you wanna make her act like home you lord All you got to yell is Walk that broad So there we have the first few tracks in our King Oliver and uh, Clarence Williams festival today. We heard the Red River Blues, which came from uh, Clarence Williams' Jazz Kings, May 1928, for Columbia Records. Ed Allen and King Oliver on cornet. Now there was a cornet solo, muted cornet solo in there, and here we get to the problem of who was doing what in this band. Ed Allen was a St. Louis cornet player who played in a very spare style, and he said that after hearing King Oliver, he uh, started using mutes more and more, although uh, he said later in his life that he didn't really use mutes per se, he used his hand over the bell of the horn to get the same sort of effects. Um, if that was the case, then I think probably the cornet on Red River Blues was King Oliver, because it sounded like definitely a plunger mute there. We also heard Ed Cuffey on trombone, and probably Arville Harris on clarinet on that one. That sounded more like him. And uh, the great Cyrus St. Clair on tuba, beginning and ending the Red River Blues. Then we went to the Clarence Williams Orchestra, Lazy Mama. I had said that was a Clarence Williams tune. It was actually composed by Al Gifford and Len Gray, uh, who I know little or nothing about. Sorry about that, but uh, that was a tune that uh, excuse me, Clarence Williams recorded a couple of times, and King Oliver recorded as well with a contingent from the Clarence Williams band later on under his name. And in this, we definitely heard King Oliver um, playing uh, his patented style, along with Ed Cuffey again on trombone, and some fine section work, especially by the reed section. The uh, standard discography, the uh, Brian Russ discography, lists two reeds. I'm sure there are three in there. You can hear three clarinets playing. So unless Leroy Harris was playing clarinet in addition to banjo, I think uh, it was definitely three reeds. So Albert Sarkaris would probably have been one, Benny Waters another, and possibly Arville Harris or somebody else. Then we went to two tunes from August 1st of 1928 for Columbia Records, Clarence Williams' Jazz Kings again. The Keyboard Express. This was a song that was composed by Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson was a, uh, an African-American pianist active in New York in the 1920s. He composed some novelty-type tunes like this one, The Keyboard Express. Um, he backed some blues singers, and he composed some pop tunes as well, the most familiar being one from the 30s called Knock Me a Kiss that uh, Jimmy Lunsford recorded. Also, Louis Jordan did as well. So the piano playing on there, I suppose, could have been Clarence Williams, but he was not noted as a particularly facile or technical piano player, so perhaps that was Mike Jackson himself on that. Um, generally, we also heard uh, good section work there, along with a tenor sax solo that was very likely by Benny Waters. And then we finished up with uh, the backside of that recording called Walk That Broad, and this featured a vocal by Clarence Williams himself, uh, again by uh, Joe Delaney, and... Uh, 
this was a, a kind of a novelty tune, probably published by the Clarence Williams Publishing House. Uh, we heard some solos in there as well. But that really featured Williams doing his uh, entertainment bit. And at the time, he was married to Eva Taylor. He actually stayed married to her, I think, for the rest of their lives. I think they may have separated, but they had several children together. And uh, Eva Taylor was one of the most remarkable singers of the 1920s. She was an African-American singer, but not a really bluesy singer. She was very definitely a stage singer, cabaret singer, a very light voice with an excellent sense of pitch. She was one of the first African-American uh, women on the radio on a regular basis. She and Clarence Williams uh, had a radio show for a short time. They also did some Broadway and off-Broadway shows. And uh, Eva Taylor was a staff singer at uh, some of the studios. And she was even brought in to sing with white bands in, uh, at a time when segregation was obviously a very important part of society. Uh, but she was a very, very talented singer. And we're not going to be hearing from her today, but a future program we will definitely be hearing from Eva Taylor. So we're going to continue now and listen to uh, two tunes from uh, a session about the same time as the last one. This is August of 1928, and this is for a label called QRS. QRS was uh, a recording label that was active out in Long Island City, New York, and they were most famous for putting out piano rolls. But in the late 1920s, they started uh, doing recordings of live bands and, and singers and so forth as well. And Clarence Williams recorded quite a few things for them in 1928 and uh, heading into 1929 as well. The Sound quality is usually a little bit rougher, but um, the music is, is kind of interesting. We're going to hear two tunes from this four-tune session, Speak Easy and Squeeze Me. And I picked the two of those because um, they are uh, interesting in that they show the two cornet players. On Speak Easy, the solo is by Ed Allen, and on Squeeze Me, the solo is by King Oliver. He solos on the verse of the tune. We'll also hear Ed Cuffey again. Uh, Arvel Harris on clarinet and alto, Benny Waters on clarinet and tenor, possibly another saxophone in there someplace, Leroy Harris on banjo, Cyrus St. Clair on bass, tuba really, and Clarence Williams on piano, and apparently arranger as well. So, Speakeasy was a tune by Clarence Williams and King Oliver, possibly cooked up for this date, maybe right at the session, who knows. And then Squeeze Me was uh, a renaming of a traditional tune called The Boy in the Boat, which had dirty lyrics, and uh, it was cleaned up apparently by Fats Waller and published by Clarence Williams, so both of their names are on it. And uh, we're going to be hearing uh, one of the early versions of Squeeze Me. Then we're going to go to uh, two tunes after that. We're going to hear uh, from QRS again in November of 1928, uh, Bozo and Bimbo. Bozo and Bimbo. And if you know... Um, the Betty Boop cartoons from a little bit later, they had characters named Bozo and Bimbo. I'm not sure if there's a connection there or not. Uh, we'll talk about those a little bit more as we go. That band will feature similar people, but Buster Bailey is on clarinet for this one, and uh, definitely three reads. So, our tunes, Speak Easy and Squeeze Me, Bozo and Bimbo. Thank you. 
So you got a lucky strike extra there as well. So we finished up, as I will begin from the end and work backwards, with a tune called The Midnight Stomp. And that was uh, co-composed, as was Squeeze Me, uh, published anyway, by um, Clarence Williams and Fats Waller. And that was an interesting, sort of lively arrangement that was done for QRS in November of 1928. That one did not feature King Oliver, definitely featured Ed Allen, a more technical player. Uh, on many of Ed Allen's recordings with Bessie Smith and different blues singers, he was very, uh, almost reticent in his playing, very, very um, gentle. But here, he was, he was showing off his roots as a St. Louis-trained trumpet player. And there were quite a few interesting players that come out of St. Louis in the 1920s. Singleton Palmer and Duke Jackson and Ed uh, uh, Allen certainly and then later on all the way up to Clark Terry and Miles Davis. So we heard on that tune Benny Waters on tenor saxophone, a very booting tenor sax solo along with Arbel Harris on clarinet. Arbel Harris was not terribly well known or is not terribly well known but he had a long career in Harlem bands including uh, Cab Calloway's band, Claude Hopkins band, lots of different groups from that time. He also played with Fletcher Henderson's band and can be seen in the movie St. Louis Blues with Bessie Smith. So before that, we played Bimbo, and that did feature King Oliver. That was a tune that was credited to Palmer and Williams, and I believe it was Spencer Williams in this case, and Jack Palmer, who also uh, collaborated on the much better known I Found a New Baby. And that featured, as I said, King Oliver, along with Ed Cuffey on trombone, Benny Waters on tenor, a little bit of uh, Arvel Harris on an alto sax break, and Buster Bailey on clarinet. And Bailey is also featured on the previous tune, which was called Bozo. Bozo was credited to Les Height, who was a band leader who was, spent most of his career on the West Coast. How he ended up writing a tune that Clarence Williams recorded in the late 20s in New York, I really don't know, but uh, might be an interesting story. And the same cast of characters, as I said, Buster Bailey, King Oliver's on there, uh, Ed Cuffey takes a fine trombone solo, and another wonderful tuba solo by Cyrus St. Clair. We started out that session with two tunes from uh, August of 1928, QRS, Speakeasy, a blues composed by Oliver and Williams. Um, started out with a kind of a formal arrangement, then it just sort of went into a jammy type thing on blues. Uh, we heard uh, Ed Allen actually playing cornet at the beginning of that. There might have been some King Oliver a little bit later, uh, since he did write it and all, and then some fine tuba playing. And then uh, the reed section shows off in two different places. First of all, a sax section solely, followed by a clarinet section solely, and there are absolutely three reeds on that date, and despite the discography listing only two. And then there was Squeeze Me, uh, the Fats Waller, Clarence Williams tune. No vocal on this one, but we featured a very plaintive uh, exposition of the verse of the tune by King Oliver, using his best muted style. We also heard some clarinet by probably Arvel Harris, Benny Waters again, Ed Cuffey, and again, uh, some beautiful, beautiful tuba playing by Cyrus St. Clair. So we're going to go on right now and listen to some uh, different things that King Oliver recorded with Clarence Williams. The first two tunes we're going to hear were by Clarence Williams and his Novelty Four. And uh, this sort of followed on the heels of his um, uh, Washboard Five and some of the more... Uh, funny uh, 
groups that, uh, that he recorded with, although this one certainly had some fine jazz credentials, with King Oliver on cornet, Clarence Williams on piano, and Celesta, and also vocals, Eddie Lang, the great guitar player, uh, white guitar player who was playing with Paul Whiteman at the time, uh, played on here. He also played many sessions with blues guitarist uh, Lonnie Johnson and countless other groups as well. He also plays violin on the second tune we're going to hear. And the fourth member of the Novelty Four was the recording director, I believe, for OK Records uh, in New York at the time. His name was Justin Ring, and he plays some kind of auxiliary percussion, I guess, some, some clomps and whomps and things like that to back up what, what's happening, especially on the first one, which is called In the Bottle Blues. So that's the first tune we're going to hear. Again, this was on OK Records. It was recorded on November 23rd of 1928. Uh, this is a uh, tune that's credited equally to Clarence Williams and Eddie Lang, whereas the next one, What You Want Me To Do, is Clarence Williams and King Oliver. And so we're going to hear those two tunes uh, coming up by Clarence Williams and his novel D4. Then we're going to hear three tunes uh, by Clarence Williams and his orchestra before we finish off our show today. This is um, the sum total of the uh, session that was made for QRS on December, well, in December of 1928. QRS didn't keep terribly good records, so we don't know the actual day of the month, just the month. And three interesting tunes. Boku Jack, which had been recorded not too long before that by Louis Armstrong. Sister Kate and Pain in the Glass, and that's by a big band similar to the ones we've been hearing with Ed Allen and King Oliver in the cornet section, Ed Cuffey on trombone, Arville Harris and Benny Waters as the reed players, Clarence Williams on piano, Leroy Harris on banjo, and Cyrus St. Clair doing his usual phenomenal job on brass bass. So those are our five tunes for this set. In the Bottle Blues, What You Want Me To Do, Boku Jack, Sister Kate, and Pain in the Glass.
glass of gin.
there you have it. Those are some of the classic sides the King Oliver recorded with Clarence Williams' various groups from about May of 1928 through the very end of the year. There'll be a couple more after that, but not too many. So we started out with the Clarence Williams Novelty 4, In the Bottle Blues and What You Want Me to Do. And King Oliver was featured, obviously, on both of those. He was the only horn player, so we know uh, without question that it was he playing and uh, what his style sounded like. Some very plaintive cornet playing on those two sides. Clarence Williams played piano, and Celesta was featured a little more on piano than he usually was on his own recordings, which is kind of interesting. He also sang the second tune, What You Want Me to Do. Eddie Lang did beautiful guitar solos and accompaniments on both pieces and also had a very short violin uh, outing on What You Want Me to Do as well. The fourth person, as I said, was Justin Ring, who was the recording director of OK. He provided some percussion, particularly on the first tune, and uh, just very, very cool and calm chamber jazz from November 23rd of 1928 for the OK record label. Then we had the big band back again, more QRS sessions from December of 1928. King Oliver and Ed Allen, along with Ed Cuffey taking trombone solos, very fine trombone solos on all three recordings we heard from that session. Arvel Harris on clarinet and alto sax. Uh, I think he did the clarinet solos on at least uh, the first and last. If uh, There wasn't much on the last, but on the first one. Benny Waters played clarinet and tenor sax. I think it was he who played clarinet on um, Sister Kate. Uh, had a very spiky style. Clarence Williams on piano, Leroy Harris on banjo, and Cyrus St. Clair on tuba. We started out with Boku Jack, a tune that is credited to Melrose, who was the publisher who uh, published it in Chicago, Walter Melrose. And also uh, Alex Hill, the uh, great and underrated African-American pianist and composer from that period, and Louis Armstrong himself, um, who uh, premiered that tune with his Savoy Ballroom 5, uh, featuring uh, the playing and the arrangement of Don Redman, a saxophonist added on that date. And that arrangement that Redman did that was recorded by Louis Armstrong on that day was uh, recreated in a stock arrangement that could be bought commercially, and that's what the Clarence Williams Band was playing from, their, their version of Boku Jack. Not quite as fiery as the Louis Armstrong version, but uh, had a lot of the same features, including many of the same harmonized breaks. So that was Boku Jack. I believe we heard Ed Allen play the cornet solo on that one. Then followed Sister Kate, a tune that's credited to uh, Clarence Williams' old publishing partner, Armand Perone, violinist and band leader in New Orleans. Although Louis Armstrong said in later years that he wrote Sister Kate, and uh, it was uh, stolen from him or appropriated from him by Clarence Williams and Armand Perone. Who knows? Maybe it was. Kid Ory also recorded a number called Keep Off Katie's Head, which was basically the same tune that he said he wrote. So, very fluid situation down in New Orleans. And we finished off our tribute to Clarence Williams and King Oliver with a Clarence Williams tune called Pain in the Glass, P-A-N-E. I don't know if that was written for a show or not, but uh, it was an interesting tune of blues that Clarence Williams recorded again with a big band, not including King Oliver, a little bit later, at a much slower tempo. This one had a lot more life to it and featured, again, some fine trumpet bone work, as well as a nice solo by King Oliver. And King Oliver played, as I said, the verse to Sister Kate as well. So there we have it. Some interesting, not terribly New Orleans sounding music by a couple of New Orleans stalwarts, Clarence Williams and King Oliver. Of course, King Oliver had a sort of a sad ending to his life. After these sessions, he uh, 
put together another big band, which he recorded uh, frequently with on Victor. Um, it was more of a studio band. These Clarence Williams sides were studio bands as well. These were musicians who were all with other groups and just meeting in the recording studio. But King Oliver put a, together a permanent band, or what he hoped to be a permanent band, probably about 1930, and started touring with it and had no success. This was the Depression, and of course, King Oliver's music, as we said, was a little bit old-fashioned at the time. He himself was suffering from uh, weight problems and also from gum disease, pyorrhea, and teeth problems, which doesn't make playing cornet any easier, and uh, he had a lot of problems doing that. And eventually, he ended up in Savannah, Georgia. His band broke up, and he couldn't afford to leave. He had to stay there. He took on menial jobs. He was actually uh, met by um, Louis Armstrong's band, who were playing a one-nighter down there in about 1937 and given some money, but uh, he had obviously fallen pretty much off the charts in terms of uh, recognition from other musicians, and he passed away in 1938 from a variety of illnesses. Clarence Williams, on the other hand, as I said, sold his catalog to Decca Records in 1943, and made quite a nice piece of money. As I said, he was a very fine businessman, and he and Eva Taylor, I guess, retired more or less. He uh, did some musical things off and on for the rest of his life. He actually had a kind of a junk store, a, uh, an antique store in Harlem, I believe, and uh, that's how he whiled away his days. And he lived until about 1965, so he had a, quite a long life and a, an interesting one as well. So you've been listening to The Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and hope you've enjoyed the show today. I'm not sure what the next shows are going to be. Still thinking about it. I have an idea for one with Ray Noble and his uh, new Mayfair Orchestra featuring Al Boley. Some things with the John Kirby sextet of the late 1930s, some of the transcriptions they did. So lots of ideas coming up. So hope you stay tuned. Hope you keep joining us here on The Jazz Focus, Anchor.fm, and all of our uh, related and... Uh, additional stations that are, are carrying this program. Hope you consider contributing at some point as well. So, John Clark and the Jazz Focus, and see you on the other side.